As they saw our work progress and our characters develop, I think the writers definitely listened and they changed a lot of their preconceptions accordingly to make it work better, you know? I really felt like that was happening. But we were communicating. What was that? Always a goddamn train. <laughs> Welcome to Let's Play by the Gamers, a podcast hosted by actress Kylie Vernoff. Fans know Kylie best as the fiery Susan Grimshaw in Red Dead Redemption 2 and Miranda Cowan in GTA 5. Our series features some of the most informed and exciting people in the gaming industry today. Kylie and her guests discuss careers, gaming, and so much more. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out thegamers.com website to hear exclusive bonus material from each of our guests. Hey, everybody. All right, my guest today is a classically trained actor who has performed in over 45 countries. He's worked in theater, in film, and television, but it's his breakout performance as Arthur Morgan in Red Dead Redemption 2 that has gained him international acclaim and countless accolades, including his win for Best Performance at the 2018 Game Awards. Yeah, that's right. Today, I am chatting with the incomparable Roger Clark. Roger and I talk about how he built his craft in the theater, we talk about the nuances of performance capture, his own love of video games, and we even get down to the real truth behind the, well, let's call it the slap heard round the world. We had so much fun, and I can't wait to share it with you. One little note about this episode, um, in true cowboy fashion, he called in while hiking with his dog, Tucker. So if the sound quality is just a little off, just, you know, pretend we're in camp. All right, here we go. Hello. Hey. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I hope I'm coming in okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm using my earphones. I'm, I'm taking the dog for a walk. Oh my god, that's fantastic. Are you guys like in on your property? No, no. We're just taking a hike on one of the trails <clears throat> just nearby. Yeah. I've been doing this a lot since the pandemic. Yeah. Although when we started, I didn't have the dogs, but yeah. How is the dog? I, I mean, I just see on social media, but it looks like the dog is a perfect fit for the family. Yeah, he seems to have settled in pretty well. You know, uh, my wife loves him. Oh, my God. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. Like take, he's taking first place out of the whole family very quickly. <laughs> I remember I remember my husband Scott said to me that uh, about our our dog Rocky um there was like you know Lucy was born and he was like yeah I understand where I fit in the hierarchy now I get it I get it I'm not competing um you know the dog was my soulmate <laughs> Sure sure dog didn't help with the rent though did he though uh, No not at no. all not at all <laughs> But the funny thing is that now we have another dog and uh he and Scott are like soulmates. It's so funny. Well, you, you, I know, po I haven't, have I met Pokey? I don't think I have, but he's, I he's a darling I don't think too. so. He really is. He had such a hard life. Scott's actually got him out right now so that you and I can, can speak without barking. Oh, good, good. Well, I hope <laughs> that won't happen with me. I don't think anyway. The only time it ever really happened was once, I think when we, one of the first walks I went on with him, he, we came across a mountain biker and he freaked out. And he, he pulled mm -hmm. himself out of his leash. And I had to run after him. It was, oh, it was oh. terrifying. 
That is really <laughs> scary. That is so scary. Um, well, I am so delighted to talk to you, and I'm really grateful, Roger, that you made time for this today. I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, I, I, are you kidding? I'd always, anytime to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that same way. I, I really, you know, I know it's it's said so often that we are like a real family, but the truth is that I feel that way. I feel connected to you guys in a way that I that I have never with other casts. I've never felt this connection in the same yeah. way. Yeah, with the amount, with all the years that we put in together. But then I think, you know, the fact that we were working under NDAs, I think, had a lot to do with it too, you know, because we literally had no one else to talk to about it. Yeah, no, it was just us. Like, if I would wake up from having an NDA dream, I'd be like, oh, I have no one to talk to. Uh, let me call Mia. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Well, I do want to talk about, let's let's get started talking about our, our shared experience, because um, I have this memory of you and, and me sitting. There was, in, in the green room, there was that sort of back wall that had a counter, and you would often park yourself there with your computer when you weren't working, memorizing lines and... Um, and yeah. I remember sitting there with you, we were several years into this thing and I remember you just got this, we, you were saying to me and you had this little like sheepish grin on your face and you were saying, you thought this could end up being a, a pretty big deal, <laughs> you know? And you were yeah. like, I, I don't know, but you know, but I think it, it could. I th- I always and- hoped that, but I didn't want to admit it to myself, you know, cause I, I knew I I was a fan of the first one, the first Red Dead Redemption, and I know how much the fans were waiting for a second one. That could have been a double-edged sword, you know, because we could have totally have disappointed them with the second installment. And I knew that, and you know, I yeah. was worried. I was worried that people were gonna, you know, I can't, can't, you can't recreate John Marston. No, and I remember you being very conscious of that, you know, especially because we were working with Rob and you and Rob have such a great relationship. And uh, you were very cognizant of the fact that you might and likely would be compared, even though your character was a completely different character. Yeah, yeah. I tried to make him different, too. I mean, almost purposefully. I didn't want to, you know, dwell on it too much, but I knew that if I had just tried to recreate what Rob had done, that would have been pretty stupid because that's impossible. Yeah. So, yeah. And also another weird thing was when I would be getting the sides, I mean, it was very clear from the very beginning that Arthur was kind of a a big brother, kind of mentor to John. And being such a fan of the first installment, the fact that anyone could like, would be that to the one and only John Marston was, was was quite an insurmountable, concept you know it was like how how could i say that to john marston but we had to you know we had to just be conscious of the fact this isn't the same john marston this is like 10 nine years before um and um you know he, he's not quite this is how he becomes the man that we we learn to love this is this is a younger john marston you know yeah and i you know i was so ignorant to the whole process that um I remember when you were sitting there and you were saying this could be a big deal. I just, I just completely believed you because you didn't say stuff like that very often. And obviously you didn't know. Um, but, you know, I had this incredible privilege of watching your process over the years. And, um, and when I say it was a privilege, I know that word is overused and I really mean it, Roger. It was a real privilege to watch you take ownership of, of Arthur and his journey. Um, 
And I wonder if there was a time when you became sort of conscious of the fact that that you were stepping into that number one position on the call sheet because you did it without ever like flexing. But I noticed you you started taking the helm in the green room with newer actors, making sure that everyone felt comfortable and welcome and in the know as much as we were allowed to let them. And I'm wondering if you if there was a time when when that was conscious or if it just sort of grew over the years. I'm never comfortable telling other actors what to do, uh, you know, but uh, and I, I don't like giving notes. You know, I think that's against the entire process and it's not my job to do that, you know. And so yeah. early on, I just tried to just tried to make people comfortable and lead by example. And because, you know, you'd see a lot of people coming in and a lot of people had some very preconceived notions about what they were stepping into. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I didn't agree with that. So I want, and I I realized sooner rather than later that the quicker I nip that in the butt, then the the better a day that we're going to, everyone's going to have, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Try and get everyone on the same page and and try and get everyone respecting the work too. Because a lot of people had never done motion capture before. A lot of people didn't even know they had to learn lines because they thought they were just going into a voice booth, you know? Yeah, I, I had no, I didn't think I was going into a voice booth, but I had no idea I was doing motion capture until I was on that set. And so many people, you know, we'd be getting cars into the, over to the studio and they'd be like, hang on, what? I need to be off book for this? <laughs> <laughs> that happened oh, all wow. the time. You know, and then you just, you just smile and nod and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, you need to be off book for it. Yeah, it's not, you know, but uh, you know, the sooner everyone's comfortable you're always going to get a better job out of them and you're going to have a better scene partner as a result of it so that's what i try to do i always saw you willing to give up your lunch break in order to run lines with someone if somebody really wanted to do the work and work on the scenes you were always available that was that was what i observed yeah and um you know i i know roger that's it's not always the case. You know, I've, I've worked on a lot of sets where the number one is completely unavailable to people who might be coming in for one day's work or one week's work. And I think that, oh, gosh, I, I think that we all benefited from your your willingness to put the work first and your your kindness and your your generosity. I really I mean that. And I thank you so much for it. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I don't I haven't done as much TV as you have, but. What little I have done, I do know that there can very often be an adversarial thing for the day players versus the, the, the leads and the, and the regulars, you know, and like, why should yeah. I invest my time in you? Because I'm not after today, we're not going to be working together on this. But at the end of the day, I mean, you want a good scene, right? You know, you want right. to get the, you want, <laughs> I mean, your show is probably going to last longer if as much of the content is as good as possible, no? Yeah. Yeah. It's always been a mystery to me when someone will isolate themselves. And I think, um, you know, it's what you're saying. The work always benefits. And I've worked with some really big stars who are 100 percent available to day players. Yeah. And I've worked with some people who aren't famous who would rather lock themselves up. And um, um, but anyway, but I, I think the entire game benefited from from your generosity of spirit. Uh, it, oh, it really thanks. bleeds down from the top like that. And um, although interestingly enough, when when uh, when Ben Davis was in town, you never did try to take his chair. 
You never did. <laughs> no, no, I knew better. Anyway, yeah, he, he, uh, he, he got very particular. And what I, I didn't like it when he would tell women to get out of his chair. That kind of pissed me off. But yeah. I do remember once, <laughs> for whatever reason, we, for, we got the same car getting into the studio, which almost never happened. And, you know, it was, a pretty, it was a pretty big car, and I was sitting shotgun, and he says to me that I was in his seat. And I, and I said, no, I'm not. And, and it, was a, it was a very bad day, I won't lie. <laughs> you know? It was like, oh, I'm, but he's a big guy, you know, and his logic was that, that was the only seat that he could fit into. But this was a people carrier, and I knew for a fact that the seats in the back were just as fine. He'd be fine. Yeah, he'd be, Mr. Davis would be just fine. Yes. Yeah, yeah he'll be fine. You know, I love this. <laughs> you know, there was a very definitive hierarchy, which, you know, you, you don't ever want to. It's kind of an uns, unspoken rules, you know. And But if someone steps out of them, you got to let them know, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's important. It's important. And I love that. I feel like that tension, that Arthur Dutch tension is, you know. That was useful. But that was useful. Was, yes, it was like useful. Second, you guys both used it. The second half of that story, yeah. And then for the first half of the story, it was very important to, to show the love and the bond and the history that they had together, you know, because it makes, it makes the ending all that much more tragic when you realize how, what, how much of that relationship is lost. Yeah. Yeah. It was a wonderful co-star. All of you were, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better team. It was a privilege. We're the luckiest. We, yeah. we really are the, the luckiest. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the the NDA that you mentioned. I think uh, Rockstar is famous for this, so I think it's not a surprise to most people that we were not allowed to talk about a- any aspect of what we were doing. Um, I just called no. it my secret job and only to my closest friends because I didn't yeah. want to answer any other questions. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, I can't have lunch. I have a job. Oh, what are you doing? My secret job. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I was at, I have a lot of family members, you know, and we're like, oh, well, how's your career getting on? You know, people don't understand the profession that well. And, you know, if I'm if I'm sitting by the phone waiting it for it to ring for a month or two, which is very normal, you know, they would consider that as being all oh, poor Roger, you know, and oftentimes it got to the point where I told relatives, you know, I'm working on a video game and I can't really say much more than that. And they're like, oh, that's fantastic. That's great for you. And then three or four years later, they go, are you still working on that video game you can't talk about, Raj? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I got the feeling that they just thought I was a delusional or that I needed <laughs> therapy or something. He's like, oh, poor oh. Roger has invented this make-believe job just so that he doesn't seem like a failure. You know, we love him no matter what. I'm like, yeah, yeah, honestly, it's, it's a video game. I can't talk about it. Okay, well, good for you when it comes out. We'll, we'll be sure to look out for it. And then, you know, once the billboards started appearing, a lot of them didn't cop on, but, and even when the trailers started dropping, a lot of them didn't recognize my voice either. No. Point, yeah, a lot of them didn't know. To the point where when I eventually could say what it was, they didn't, some of them didn't believe me. <laughs> oh, Roger, that is amazing. Yeah, it's interesting because your voice, of course, to me is instantly recognizable, but your voice is not the same as Arthur's voice. That's one of the ways that you, to go back to earlier, what you were saying about finding that character, you know, the ways I've always, I've never approached, or at least I've always tried to approach the creation of a character differently each and every time. I try and, 
do it differently because I don't want to come up with the same stuff the same way. I want it to be fresh and new and engaging each and every time. Uh, yeah. And I, I can't, I haven't always followed those rules because sometimes I've done very similar characters. And I just, but with Arthur, it was definitely the voice first. Sometimes I'll get the physicality in first, but I definitely started with the voice first. I remember I was doing a theater job for Julie Taymor at the time. And one of my dressers was from Flagstaff, Arizona. So I, I loved the way he spoke. So I was, I was picking his brains a lot during it. And then there was a lot of Southern aspects in there, too. So you were already working on the game when you were doing Midsummer, which with Julie <clears throat> Tamer. Uh, yeah, we were just starting. We were just, uh, I, I think I had probably done two or three days. Very, you know, it wasn't regular. The first two or three days were very intermittent. And that was, pro- and then I started rehearsal on Midsummer. That must have been incredible. Yeah, it was crazy. But thankfully... You know, the work, the Red Dead work wasn't that intense, intense just yet, because we were just starting. Or at right. least I was anyway. So, but then once we were in the run, once we were properly doing the run of Midsummers, then we started getting some pretty full week shoots, you know, and that was kind of crazy. But thankfully, you know, by then the, th- the play was in my bones then. So I was able to put a lot of my creative juices just into Red Dead. And, you know, I was still able to perform at night. I, uh, I think about, I, I often thought about that with you because having signed the NDA, you couldn't tell people what you were doing, but your schedule was so full. Like I could go off and work on a TV show here and there, but you were almost always booked on the game yeah. and you couldn't tell anyone what you were doing. And I thought for someone who, like you, this classically trained actor who you know, it has just worked with Julie Taymor. Like, it must have been really challenging the the break in the other work that you would normally have been doing. Yeah, yeah. At first, I was. I mean, I didn't. I had never got booked a contract of that size before, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be. You know, I. I don't. Not sure I ever will again. You know, it turned out to be five years long, and. Uh, you know, of course, I was grateful for the work, but yeah, I was suddenly all these other opportunities that. I had to start turning work down, which was anathema to me before then, because I was an off-Broadway actor, you know, and who did the odd bit of voiceover. I was in no position to turn work down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're in the yes business. <laughs> yes, I'm available, yes. <laughs> you know, and then once, once we started to get more and more intense with Red Dead, you know, and I'm, at first I was a little apprehensive about it, you know, because I, I was nervous. I was like, well damn, this is a really good opportunity that I have to turn down now, you know, like a really great theater job in Philly or whatnot, or a play that I really wanted to do, something that was flying to Brazil for a couple of days. Oh. But, you know, eventually, I, uh, it didn't take much. You know, after, after a, a couple of months, it didn't take much for me to realize that we were all very much invested in this project and we were all very much committed to creating something as good as possible. And so, uh, you know, devoting myself to just the one job became easier and easier because of that. So, and I knew that it wasn't going to last forever. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I would say when you talk about our commitment, I I can't speak to everyone. Um, I didn't work with everyone. But I would say, as I'm trying to just sort of think in my head right now, I think 
at least with the the gang, I think almost all of us are trained actors. That is what we do. Uh, And so nobody was uh, phoning it in. Everybody was committed and everybody was excited to come and, and play, you know? Yeah. Um, everyone had a, had some theatrical experience. And I, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself, you know, cause God knows there's so many fine film actors that haven't done theater, you know, but for yeah. me personally speaking, it's, that's, that's where I learned how to act, you know, was, was in theater. So you are a classically trained actor and you, you got your degree in Wales, right? Yes. And didn't you do at least, I remember you talking about at least one like massive tour where you got to go sort of everywhere doing theater. Yeah, so I toured with this one theater company for nine years. We went all over. We did a lot of Shakespeare. We did a lot of classic American theater, classic British theater. We did Europe and Asia and Australia and South America. And, uh, you know, I, I did a lot. I learned so much on those jobs because... We'd bring the same show to different cultures and some jokes would land in, other, in one country and then in another one, you know, it totally wouldn't work. And that's where I learned how you have to listen to the audience. Oh, right. Right. Because, right. Because if they don't have the same cultural references, of course it's not landing the same way. No, no. There would be so many. Like, for example, in Macbeth, Lady Macduff, you know, she's... She's pissed off that her husband is up and left her. She doesn't understand why he had to do it, but she just thinks that he's gone and left. So she's uh, you know, admonishing him in front of one of her children. And, and she's, uh, she says, oh, maybe I'll just get another husband. And uh, <laughs> her son goes, well, how are you going to do that? And she says, well, I, I can buy me 10 in any market. And the Chinese thought that was hilarious because back in the <laughs> 80s, you know, and up even to that point, you know, people were literally kidnapping women from rural farms to, you know, abducting them for matrimony, you know, back when they had that child. What was it? I think they had a statute that said that if you had more than two children, you got taxed really heavily. Yes, that's right. I remember all that. Yeah, so that was still a part of their culture when we were touring. So they thought that line was hilarious. Only, only country that ever did. And then another wow. time, like when we were doing Frankenstein, We'd, uh, we'd, I remember once we toured France for two whole months, which was, usually we didn't stick to one country for that length of time. We did France for two months, and then our first night in Germany, after that, we, uh, the show just fell totally flat. You know, and it was, it was, we were like stunned. But then we realized, you know, we had been playing to one kind of temperament, one kind of, one kind of uh, ideology for, for two months and then, you know, the Germans, it's a different type of audience. But very early on, I learned, I learned how to listen to the audience because they can teach you a lot if you, if you learn how to listen. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff about timing, et cetera, you, you, don't, you don't get that on a, on a film set. You know? No, you really don't. No, it's true, you don't. You either get nothing or you get, or you get bullshit. Let's face it, you know, you have a lot of people blowing smoke <laughs> up your ass. It's so true. But but audience, I mean, maybe if you're incredibly famous and you're doing a play, audiences will blow smoke up your ass. But for the most part, that feeling when you can tell there's this tension in the audience and they are with you, uh, there is nothing else like that in our business, in, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Uh, that's why I really miss theater now, especially. Yeah. 
I, I actually saw on your YouTube channel, um, you had done a Shakespeare monologue, and I, I just, like, my heart swelled. I think I think for those of us who have had the privilege of doing Shakespeare, all theater, but especially the classics, like, I know for me, I never want to retire. Like, my, my dream retirement is to open a little theater in Vermont and just play all the roles that I haven't gotten to play, you know? Yeah, that would be a very... Yeah, that that would be awesome. When I've often thought the same thing. That would be a crazy retirement, though. You'd do, you wouldn't stop. I said <laughs> no. to Molly, I said to Molly the other day. I said, you know, I'm never going to retire, right? And she's like, Oh, okay. Well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that same way. I don't ever want to retire. I want to. I mean, you know, maybe there will come a time that I. And who knows if it'll ever go back to this, but maybe there'll be a time where I don't want to be running around to auditions all the time. But but doing the actual work, it's, you know, it's not a job. It's it's who I am. It's what I love. And maybe yeah. you and I can do some plays together. Wouldn't that be fun? Up in Vermont, that would be awesome. Yeah. Let's do who's um, the creator of Virginia Woolf. Yes! I am in. I am in. You know, I I interviewed this incredible game designer a couple of weeks ago, and she said that um, that the introduction of professional actors into gaming was the biggest advancement that she had seen. Oh wow! What a what a what a compliment! Wasn't it? She said. Yeah. She said, "There's. I mean, she said I I watched games go from being text to being." someone's voice could be me she said and and those advancements were all huge but the introduction of professional actors has taken our uh medium to to an entirely different place and i i was so grateful to hear that it really has changed leaps and bounds since i've been a gamer you know it's the whole medium has just changed so much and now in many ways you have more freedom in storytelling in gaming than you do on cinema yeah. I remember you talking about that when we were making the game and I didn't understand because I had no idea what it was going to look like when we were done. I I had no idea what like really what the fruits of our labor would be. Um, but I remember you saying that, that this is that really the industry is sort of turning this way. And also you, you, you got a lot of, you know, a lot of the your work is done for you, uh, especially with my job with Red Dead 2, for example, because. You know, if the player is me, then they already uh, feel an automatic, uh, they automatically identify to Arthur with, you know, with, which could take the first 10 or 15 minutes of a film. But if you're directly responsible for the protagonist's actions, then you are going to bond and you are going to identify with that character 10 times more quickly than you may do in a film or a TV series or even in a book. Because you're directly responsible. You, you feel like, okay, I actually have a say in how this narrative unfolds. And the way gaming is now, that's, that's true. You actually do have a say. No two playthroughs of Red Dead 2 are the same. Everyone has their own unique experience. That is so cool. And that's cool. the way it is with <laughs> And that's with all games now. Most of, them, most of them, anyway. I'm playing Ghosts of Tsushima right now. And I love it. It's so much fun. You go. You get to walk around being the samurai in old feudal Japan, you know, and you're fighting off the Mongol invaders. And uh, you know, I've got it in on Japanese because I just want to immerse myself into the culture. You know, I could put it on the English if I wanted to, but 
You could do the Kurosawa mode where it's all black and white and they have this grainy texture that they added in to make it look more like a 1960s Kurosawa movie. And I just love it. It's no two ways are the same to do it. That is incredible. I mean, it really is immersive. That's that is completely immersive. That's amazing. I have to check that out. We'll have to come visit you and you'll show me. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Or we'll put it on Twitch. That's what everyone seems to be doing now. You know, people, I know everyone's on the Twitch. Everyone's watching <laughs> people play video games now. Because that, you know, sometimes that is is an entertaining prospect in its own right. Maybe you don't want to invest in in a, a game. Maybe you don't want to invest the time, but you still want to check it out. So you check out one of your favorite personalities playing it on Twitch. This is this just the whole thing's changing in front of our very eyes. Have you played and had people watch you play? Have you done that, like playing Red Dead, and people have watched you? I've done it for like, I did it with Brian Deckhart for a day. And then we, we had that charity thing where we oh, helped right. raise yeah. some cash. So that, yeah, that was fun. We went online and then, you know, we did the story mode. Online is its own different beast though. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I have not tried it. I, I have watched a little, I mean, what I'm amazed by are the mods and people will send me like the Susan mods and it's spectacular what people can do. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen bits where you have, cows the size of mountains you know and uh jack jack is like this eight foot john monster who just goes around <laughs> terrorizing strawberry and whatnot it's hilarious it's amazing people are so brilliant i mean there really is no other art form where when you hand it to the fans you are inviting them to 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 what to modify to participate to to take the helm yeah, to take control. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, you know. It and, is crazy, and it, it does have its own challenges too. You know, like especially as the narrative unfolds. I remember because I knew that, you know, especially in the second half of the storyline, from like chapters five and six, mostly, you know, by that point, players will have be, you know, they'll have made Arthur either honorable or dishonorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I would get my sides for whatever week we were shooting. And I would look at that and I'd say, okay, well, I, have to, I had to be conscious of the fact that this might be a really nice Arthur or it could be an Arthur that's not so nice. And I had to make, I had to make, it, make it work for either context, which that was a bit of a challenge. But mm-hmm. uh, the writing helps, you know? Yeah. I, I remember at one point you saying something about like, yeah, I think he's a little sick in this, in this version. And I was like, how do you keep trying? Like I, you know, at that time I didn't know that Arthur would. Well, I didn't want to do any spoilers, but that Arthur would get sick at some point. And um, although I think everyone's played through, but uh, yeah. I, I think that's amazing that you had to sort of hold in your head which version of Arthur: high honor, low honor, healthy, sick. Yeah. Um, and and what about like if if Arthur hadn't eaten, would that affect? Like, did you have to do versions where he's weak and, and all that? It never, it never affected my dialogue. I think a, a warning message would come up. Or maybe you would come along in camp. <laughs> the next time you'd come along to camp, you would say, oh, you're looking a little peaky there, Arthur, you know? Yes. I never had to do stuff for that, thankfully. But, you know, I, I, I thank you for that. That was very kind. I had to keep all that stuff up in my head for Arthur. But, you know, a lot of the producers and animators, they had to do it for the whole story, not just Arthur. He, it was insane. Can you imagine? They are amazing. It's like it's like mathematical. You have to get it. You have to become have a bit of a mathematical mind. You know, there's all these bridging 
all these little uh, diversions and the story would split and then have to come back in certain ways. And, and then the dialogue that we would have to record for each and every possibility, it was kind of in, insane. It was insane. I, I, and I don't, and, and again, when I think back to that now, and I think everything they knew that I didn't know, how they kept all that straight, they must have <sighs> never slept. Yeah. <laughs> they must have never slept. Yeah. Oh my Everybody, gosh. we were all, we were all very committed to doing a good job on that. Thousands. Yeah. It took a village, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It really did. And, and I would say, Everyone that we worked with, from the animators, director, from the producers to the camera team, the sound team, I mean, literally everybody um, was someone I was excited to work with. I, I really, um, everyone brought such a good attitude. It was very, I, I, w I will not tell stories. There was maybe once or twice that someone came to set actor where they didn't seem like a team player. Yeah, and, um, sure. <laughs> I would see that reflected in you. And then, you know, and then usually you wouldn't see that person again. I mean, when you're working with over a thousand actors, it's bound to happen, <laughs> it's right? bound to happen. But very rare. I mean, really, really not very often. I don't know if they could just sniff that out in the casting process, but yeah. it was rare. Yeah, plus, you know, if, if, if it was their first day, you know, everyone's good on their first day. Almost everyone. You know, especially if they mm -hmm. haven't worked in a few in a while, you know, everyone's really keen to make a good impression. And thankfully, we were able to capitalize on that. <laughs> mm, yep. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk to you a little bit about fame. Um, I know it's a strange word and, and there's levels of fame that are so different, but you, Roger, are extremely famous in in Dog. this sphere. In this sphere, you are. I mean, listen. I know firsthand how fanatical your fans can be. I, I. Well, I've shared with you. Oh, I've yeah. gotten messages. Thanks, thanks for not giving my number out. <laughs> they will ask me for your number. They will say, and sometimes it's very sweet fans who will say, I, I drew this Arthur portrait and he hasn't responded. Will you send it? I mean, I get this stuff, I want to say, at least once a day. Somebody will ask me if I can be a liaison. Uh, um, and sometimes they're rude and scary. Um, yeah, sometimes. And, but yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I'd love my... to hear your experience. Like, is it what you expected? What, what, what's your experience with it? I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was going to possibly change things, but I really didn't. I honestly didn't know what to expect. All I knew is how I was going to try to capitalize it. You know, and mm -hmm. that being just, I want to carry on being challenged, and I want to carry on working, and I want to hopefully do that in as many mediums as is possible. Mm -hmm. So that's what that was kind of my agenda, for lack of a better word. But uh, it was ninety percent of it, I didn't know what was going to happen. And but I got to say, for the most part, everyone's fantastic. And for the most, you know, social media has really changed things. I think in the last ten years or so, because I have the opportunity to to interact with them directly, and a lot of them really seem to appreciate that, and I appreciate it too. I really. I really love it when someone takes the time out of their day to tell me how much they enjoyed the game and, and all of our work and performances, you know, and I, that really means so much to me. And whenever I can, I'll always, I'll always respond and say, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it, you know, but I don't know about fame. You know, I, as you know, everybody thinks we just did the whole thing in, in front of a microphone. 
and you know, I people, know. and you know, I, I'm going to say it. You know, I I blame a lot of the media for that. And a lot of these games journalists aren't making, you know, aren't bothering to to make the distinction between performance capture and voice acting. And I think now at this stage of the way the industry is, I think that's that's a little lazy and it's a little. I think it's a little disrespectful too. I mean, to be honest, because performance capture has been the predominant way to do gaming now for the last 10 years or so. And, and when you're, when the people who are kind enough to say how much they enjoyed your work, don't even understand your work, you know, that's what kind of makes me sad. So I've always tried to do what I could just to raise awareness about the fact that performance capture and voice acting are two separate things. Yeah. You know, it's such a tricky thing because Voice acting is an incredible, it is, it is an incredible skill, um, but it's just not what we did. <laughs> of course, the, 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 the one, is, one is not more or less than the other. Uh, a lot of people think that we're putting down voice acting when we go, actually, it was performance capture. And they go, oh, what's your problem with voice actors then? Huh? I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't have one. I mean, and I am one, except, and I love being one. It's just, I wasn't one on Red Dead 2 is all. Um, and I wish, I wish that, you know, I wish that uh, we could do more to help people understand that because, you know, a lot of the opportunities that are coming my way now, I'm very appreciative of and I, I love. But, you know, it's all, it's all just voice acting, to be honest with you. I, mm -hmm. uh, I still can't get arrested in front for, for for of camera audition. And I'm not complaining by any means. But it's just, uh, it's just I'm, I, I had more opportunities in front of the camera before Red Dead 2 came out. And I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people don't understand uh, what it is that we did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I am shocked when I will do podcasts with, with people who, as, as a guest, and, um, and I will frequently say to them in the interview, just so you know, I love voice acting. That's not what we did. I spent very, very little time in the booth at all uh, for Susan Grimshaw. I mean, I think I maybe did three days total for Susan Grimshaw in a booth. And and all that stuff was like iterations of uh, what she says at the poker table or, you know, at shouting from a horse. Or ADR on something that you already did. Yeah. yeah right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Fixing sound on something that I already did. Right. Yeah. And then they will put out the interview, the podcast, whatever it is I did, and they will say, we're so thrilled to have Kylie Vernoff, voice actor of Suze Grimshaw. <laughs> it's like, we just had that whole conversation where I explained it to you. Um, yeah. I don't know why people are so dug into that term. I think it's just the, the lexicon is dug in now. But if it's your job, I, I'm starting to lose patience for it now. I'm not going to lie. And I don't apologize for that either. You know, it's your job, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I, I agree. I agree with you. I, you know, I think that the, the distinction is huge. The only place they cross over is that some video games use voice actors, like my friend Jen Cohn, who plays Farah on Overwatch. Oh, Everything God, she yeah. does is in a booth. It's all in a booth. Which, yeah. in many ways, is incredible because she has to picture everything that we actually got to put on its feet. Exactly, and and then you have some situations like Spider Man, 
where you got Yuri Lowenthal, who is the voice of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And then you've got this 19-year-old parkour genius doing all the mocap for it, where he's, you know, jumping around and doing the things that, you know, as, as, as wonderfully talented as Yuri Lowenthal is, he can't, he can't scale walls and <laughs> jump off of... So here you have, you know, you legitimately have two performers sharing the role. You know, no two studios do it the same way. But, you know, if, if like in your instance, if you are kind enough to take your time out and, and explain to them the difference. And then when the article comes out and they clearly weren't listening, that, that's, a, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, I, and, and when I have drawn attention to it, they are mortified and I'm so sorry. That's right. And you know what? If I'm going to be co- totally honest with you, I'm totally guilty of the same thing. You know, if I'm in a restaurant and I ask for a Coke and the waitress says, oh, we only have Pepsi, I kind of go like, oh, all right, whatever. Pepsi, though. I mean. <laughs> same thing, same <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I get it. I get it and all. But, you know, you can, you can, it's not accurate. You can get rid of bad habits. And, you know, let's, let's just call it for what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, back to this fame thing, I um, I loved seeing the shout out that you and Jack Black did for each other on his Jablinski games. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was I was kind of thrilling to see him enjoy our work like that. And, and then Ice-T. Isn't that exciting? Ice-T, I mean, he, he responded to something I tweeted on Twitter saying how much he enjoyed Red Dead as well. And, and I'm starting to think this isn't real life anymore. This is just be some crazy dimension that I've ended up in. I must have woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Ice T doesn't talk to me on Twitter. <laughs> I love Ice T. I love Ice T, and I especially love him on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's great. And then we were fortunate enough to do a lot of the cons before the pandemic hit, and just seeing the effect of our work has been one of the most rewarding things. Yeah, it genuinely has been. Yeah, I, I have watched. I, I've just done a little bit of the the con stuff, but I've watched you go all over the world. I mean, you went to you went to Kuwait. You went to somewhere in China. Yeah. Um, yeah. What has they, that been like? What has that been like, Roger? Well, I it was weird because I had done that before, albeit not as a you know as a, just a, a traveling troop member of a theater group. Yeah. So. But, and that's different, though, because there you're bringing the art. They don't have an expectation of you yet. Whereas when you go for the conventions, it, yeah. there's already they know who you are and they can't wait to see you. That's got to be yeah. a whole different animal. And being asked to scream Lenny in so many different languages. It's, <laughs> it's really it's really funny. You know, the people, the fans, the fans all over the world are, for the most part, absolutely wonderful. And it's it's just been such a joy to, to meet them. And I'm very grateful for them. And, uh, you know, we, we were able to do something that has given them pleasure on such a, a scale that I never honestly dreamed of before in my career. I only thought it was only a dream that I would ever be able to reach this many people. And, and not even just for that, but to have them enjoy the work. You know, that's, I still have to pinch myself about it. So I don't... I don't, I don't have any objective comparison to, to say what the fame is, what it means and how it's affected me. Because when I'm home, I'm, it's just me, you know, I, I, nothing's changed in my home life at all. You know, I, 
my wife still, you know, <laughs> she still gives me a telling off if I'm not pulling my weight and makes you, know, you fix kids, the air conditioner. <laughs> of course. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. Uh, and my kids are the same too. You know, like I don't let them play red dead. You know, they're still a bit too young, but um, by the time they're old enough to play it, they probably won't want to. Cause they, you know, there'll be something else much more cool going around then. How do you feel about the state of video games as a parent? I know that your boys love their Nintendo Switch and and with your, you know, your foothold in gaming, uh, how do you feel about uh, about the games that are available to them and um well, you know, I think cuz I'm I I'm, I'm a I'm a pretty informed consumer when it comes to gaming, so I know what's suitable for them and what isn't. Yeah. And you know, be a part of it. I remember my mother would always kind of watch and let's just make sure if I was watching a new program, she would check it out. Well, you could do the same thing for video games too. Be a part of their gaming experience, monitor it in a supportive way. And, you know, if there's something that they shouldn't be doing, you just got to nip that in the bud and you got to tell them why and make sure that they don't have access to it. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't have any difficulty, personally speaking. Well, first of all, already you've done so much more due diligence than I. I I just needed help from Lucy. So even though she was definitely too young for Red Dead and for sure too young for GTA, which they sent me the code just so I could learn how to play a Rockstar no. game before our game was released. And Lucy <laughs> was just like with me on the couch because I could not figure out the technology and, and I needed her. <laughs> oh, so well. Lucy, so Lucy got it. a little early introduction. Yeah. But at least it was with her mother, so that's cool, you know. Yeah, I think that if you are doing it together, it's it's not uh, like you were it's not like you were killing prostitutes or or, or police officers, was it? Well, or maybe, maybe. I mean GTA. <laughs> I'm not really sure what we were doing. You know, I, I don't really want to say. I just I just uh, <clears throat> there were <laughs> there were definitely some things that I just didn't explain. <laughs> just, honestly, just drive the car. Just drive. Get me out of here. Yeah, <laughs> just drive. Yeah. We'll, we'll return it later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, there's something we have to put to bed. You and I have discussed this, and I don't know if my memory is just not all there but the people yeah. need to know they okay. want to know they okay. want to know roger i think i know what this is about yeah i think you do i think you do <laughs> you come into camp you're filthy and yes. and grimshaw gives you a talking to she gives and, you a talking to yeah or I, she gives you a warning or oh a straight up hit a punk oh, like a, like a yeah. it's more than I, a slap it's it's a clock yeah, it's a clock. I remember doing those scenes, but I didn't happen in my playthrough because I'm not a, I know I'm, I'm a clean boy, so I, you know, that never actually happened in my playthrough. <laughs> but I remember doing them, yeah. And I remember thinking, I remember going, "Oh, this is interesting." Uh -huh. I didn't fully understand it until I started seeing it in game, you know. And yeah, they just wanted to penalize the player for not washing up, I guess, basically, which is, I guess, to help with the immersive immerseness of the game, and you know, and they, I think even if you. Even if you don't wash it after that, then you start to have, I think your health goes down a little faster, you know, because they were saying, you know, higher chance of infection and whatnot. I yeah. think it just adds to the, the fact that you have to brew your coffee before you drink it. I know there's mixed, there's mixed receptions about all of these time-consuming yeah. oh, well, immersive Well, we've even qualities. tried, like, Lucy has rolled, like, 
tried to fall in the mud and and we've never triggered that that moment. But the real question here is, and <laughs> I was asked this by my godson before I had even really played the game because he played okay. it the minute it was released all the way through. Yeah. Is that there is this rumor, persistent rumor out there that when I hit you, I hit you for real because your laugh is so natural that everyone thinks that I accidentally hit you for real and that caused the laugh. I, as I recall, we knew you were going to hit me, but I think it was a little harder than I anticipated. I could have. I have been telling people that I never hit you. I oh, literally yeah, yeah. thought. No, I you did. hit me. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And we had like, okay, let's try with a hit this time because, you know, it was a very hard dynamic to bring across because, you know, Arthur's kind of like, for most of the game, he's, he's like the right hand man. And then Grimshaw, you know, she's, she's, the, she's in charge of the camp. So those are two very high status figures in the gang and and for one of them to clock the other one it was kind of like how do we make that work without without yeah. one and of let's them be losing clear, face not just, you know not just one of them clocking the other one grimshaw clocking arthur i mean <laughs> I, I don't think anyone else in that camp could have hit you and you would have laughed i mean i, I thought Probably, we were yeah. definitely dancing a line but i would have sworn on i don't want to say my daughter's life but i would have sworn that it was like a a, a stage hit where I, I didn't hit you at all. I can't believe I've blocked this out, Roger. So, oh, so you thought maybe it was, oh, so you think you do remember the hit, but you remember us faking it? Is that it? Yeah. I thought oh. that I, I, I would have said that I faked it. Okay. I remember <laughs> People you ask hitting, me all the time. I remember us talking about it and I was like, let's go for one where you just hit me. And you're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. <gasps> and you, we did it. I remember and now. You're than, right. You did. It was harder than I expected. It wasn't. It wasn't hard. <laughs> I was. I was fine. But it was harder than I expected. And that's where the laugh came from. You know, because and also I wanted to show. You know, Arthur's okay with it too, because you don't want. You don't want people to. I mean, that's a weird. That's a a weird dynamic line to cross, and you want to make. You know, you, you want to make sure that this is a reprimand because Arthur's filthy as a pig and he needs to wash up, you know, so he kind of deserves it. Yeah, it humanizes him in a way, too. It humanizes him. He's not untouchable. Like, he has to answer to people. And um, yeah. and I think it really, it, it, you know, it, it illuminates that, that familial aspect that, that it is a real family. Absolutely, yeah. These people have known each other. They are. This is the only family that these people have, yeah. Yeah. Is there any part of of Arthur that you that you worked on maybe as an internal exercise or even or even something that you worked on externally that you think got missed? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. That's a really tough. That's a hell of a, oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to. I knew I just didn't want to create another archetype Western protagonist, but. And I was looking for ways to make to avoid that, but then <laughs> thankfully the writing, the writing was so good that it, you know, there are many there's a few occasions where he addresses fear, and I didn't want to internalize that too much. I really wanted to make that clear to the player that, you know, Arthur can still be tough as nails and whatnot, but he can still be very scared at times, and I didn't want to I didn't want to scoot away from that. But with the wonderful writing, I, it kind of there was a lot. There was a few opportunities where I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you have that much volume to work on, you know, I, there was plenty I, I was able to explore about Arthur.
you know, plenty. Yeah. And yeah. Some, and some of the aspects too, I didn't even know until, you know, like as you may remember when we were doing booth work, we often didn't get those sides in advance. So, you know, oftentimes I would just have five or 10 minutes notice before I was starting to perform these lines. And these were typically for me, there would be in-game stuff like when Arthur's going from one, he's going from one location to another in a mission or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so there was some of that dialogue that I was like, holy cow, I was not, not expecting to see that. So there was a few of those occasions. Yeah. But, uh, no, there, there, we, had, we had plenty of time to explore a lot. I didn't feel yeah. unfulfilled in any aspect, you know? Yeah. Were there any scenes that you shot that, that you can talk about that, that didn't make it or that changed? Oh, gosh, yeah. There was a lot of stuff that got cut. You know, and I, I have talked about it a little bit. There was, like, a few things that got reworked and redone. And, for example, there was one bounty mission where Dutch and Arthur get on a train uh, to preemptively strike out against all these New England Bostonian bounty hunters uh, that were trying to take out the gang. And that was a real fun day because Ben was educating them on how to do a Boston accent, right? (laughs) Which is the hardest accent ever. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it helped. It helped, too. Again, it was kind of like, who the hell is this guy telling us how to do? Oh, he's from Boston. Okay, all right. Now we have to be, now we have to be adversarial in this scene, and it's suddenly become that much easier, you know? Uh, amazing art imitating life, life imitating art. I love it. <laughs> yeah, oh, there was man. a lot of stuff, and you know, as the game progressed, you, 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 this is. I mean, I wasn't as privy to this. You know, all the goings on like that, like what got cut and what didn't and what, what got chosen to what they decided to keep. And, and then things as they saw our work progress and our characters develop, I think the writers definitely listened and they changed a lot of their preconceptions accordingly to make it work better, you know? Mm-hmm. I really felt mm-hmm. like that was happening, even though, you know, we did work with Michael Unsworth for a few days, but for the most part, there wasn't a lot of communication going on. But we were communicating. What was that? Oh, it's a goddamn train. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. I could have done a funnier joke then, but there you might I didn't want to scare you. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. No, that was... <laughs> please, Roger. Don't get hit by the goddamn train. <laughs> yeah, no, I know this trail very well. Yeah. <laughs> So I am, as, as you are, super hopeful that things will start getting back to some sort of normal for us and that we will get to do, I mean, productions and that theater will come back. And, and you, by the way, are always invited to my Vermont theater when I, thank, when I open that. Thank <laughs> you. Like, thank you. I'll be there. <laughs> I will do that. But in the meantime, I know that you are um, taking advantage of this time at home to do all these audiobooks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of that. I'm very grateful for it, too. And I've been able to produce some of my own, too, uh, for anyone who's interested. Thanks for the shout out. Yeah, with this payhip.com forward slash unbridled audio. Uh, there is uh, one title out there right now, and there's soon, very soon going to be 
about two more, and we're just going to keep doing it. If you liked Arthur Morgan's dulcet tones and you'd like to hear him read some old five-and-dime Western novels from around the turn of the 20th century, you can give that a check out and, and see if you enjoy it. Payhip.com forward slash unbridled audio. At the moment, you can get Way of the Lawless by Max Brand. It's fun. It was a lot fun. It was pretty fun to do. Yeah, I think that is a really, really fantastic thing for you to be doing. How do you feel about creating an entire story just without without props or hitting a mark or anything? Is that yeah. do you have great creative license doing these stories? You know, well, you know, you've got a script like any other, but you know, it's it's all up to you. And well, I first started getting. I've been doing it my whole life. Um, I remember my dad used to do charity newspaper for the blind readings for the local newspaper when I was a kid, and I would go to the studio and I'd help him. I'd cut out newspaper articles. And we did that in New Jersey. And then when we emigrated to, to Ireland, we did it there as well. And so I, that's kind of been in my blood ever since I was a child. And I love, I enjoy reading audiobooks very much. You know, it's luck, it's just happened to become a very growing part of the industry, you know, because people commute and. Yeah. People have less and less time to sit down with, to a book anymore, which is sad, but we still can find ways to, to get them to enjoy that wonderful medium, you know, and, and with the books that I produce now, you know, these books are over 100 years old and they're done and they're written by people who actually still have a physical memory of what the Wild West was like. So, you know, it's a really cool perspective and they're really fun stories, too. Oh, that is so cool. That is so cool. And I love what you're saying about them being a, a, people don't read so much anymore. And I I just had this conversation with Lucy where she was she was saying how she can watch Netflix. She doesn't have to read. And I was oh, saying, no. I know, because your brain doesn't grow the same way when you're reading. Your brain has to create the pictures. What you're does this person look like? What do they sound like? Yeah. You're engaging more of your imagination. Yes. And I think yeah. the next best thing are audiobooks because it's the same. You're not seeing it. Your brain still has to work to fill in those visuals. And um, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it is a fantastic endeavor, especially while we are all in, <laughs> in lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Oh. I'm so grateful that I can go on these hikes still. You know, I don't know what I'd do without that. Yeah. We should come. We should come and do a hike with you. I know I've had you a long time. So as we're winding down here, I I would love to give you a chance to share with me a a time in your life or in your career when someone took a chance on you and and gave you an opportunity to shine. Oh, gosh. Well, there's been so there's been too many of them. Uh, You know, I a rock star absolutely gave me a chance. You know, I was an unknown off Broadway actor when I walked into that audition room for the first time. You know, I had done motion capture before, which at that point wasn't very common. But, uh, you know, just the chance that they put on me, they invested, you know, it's it's a thing. You know, if you're going to be the lead of your next game and your last game was Grand Theft Auto V, which I think has sold over 100 million copies now. Now, that is a bit of pressure, you know, and they took a chance on me and I'm very grateful for it. I also remember Steve Blanford. When I wanted to change my major when I was in university, I started out with some, I think you call it an associate's degree over here. It's an HND in the UK, okay. uh, higher national diploma. And I was doing computer studies. And, uh, I didn't know that, Roger. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was awful at it, you know. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't that good at it. And, um, you know, I was studying that and I just was becoming more and more disenchanted and 
I just decided to, I, I uh, took a jump off of a cliff one day, figuratively speaking, of course, and I decided to go to the human, humanities department. And I remember I spoke with Steve Blanford, who at the time was the head of the, of the theater department there. And I asked him what were my chances of transferring. And I told him my experience and what I had done. And by this point, I had already done a few plays at the university. So he was very welcoming and he told me what I needed to do. And, and I never really looked back from after that. I also remember when we moved to Ireland, you know, I was very sad to hear a couple of days ago, my local amateur dramatic society way back in the West of Ireland. In the, in Sligo, right? Is that yeah. in Sligo? I saw that today. I loved that picture of you, and I was heartbroken to see that it was shuttering. I was, in or not shuttering, just not not presenting this year, right? They've done forty-one years of Christmas pantomime, which is a very well-known Irish and British tradition. Not so much well-known over here, but it's a Christmas tradition where they'll put on a fairy tale production and it's for a, it's all family oriented thing. It's got a lot of song and dance in it. It's got a lot of funny cross-dressing and whatnot. And I know that's not, you know, whether or not that's politically correct now or not, but it's a very old tradition, which was very well loved. And this is the first year that they're not doing it. They started in 1979 and there's some cast members that have, have done it every single year. You know, and they're, wow. in their, they're in their seventies now. And, this is the first year that they're not doing it because of COVID. And it was just, you know, I just wanted to show my support and just remind people that theater, when this is all over and we have to finally get the opportunity to be in crowded rooms with other people again, you know, let's, let's not forget the arts. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not. Yeah. Well, I just want to say um, to you, and I know that I've said this to you, but I, I want to repeat it. Um, you are one of the finest actors I've ever worked with. Oh, come on. Thanks, it's Gary. true. I'm telling you the truth. And uh, I don't say that lightly. And I know that this must feel like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and certainly nothing could ever replicate this. But I can't wait to see what's next for you. I really uh, can't. Yeah, thanks, Kyrie. Me neither. Yeah. You know, that's the wonderful thing about it, I guess, is that you never know what the next job is going to be. No, and I think that the sky is the limit for you, and I just hope that I get to have an up-close and personal seat. We better be working together again. Yeah. <laughs> we better. Let's make that happen. We don't, let's not wait for someone to give us that job. We'll, we'll find a way. Yeah, just I'm going to have it written in your contract, though, that you don't get to hit me this time. <laughs> oh, I can't yeah. believe I forgot I hit you. <laughs> you're, you're pretty good. <laughs> I was a bruiser back in my day. I was I a bit of a bruiser. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking time, Roger. This has been uh, really delightful for me as so much fun. And any chance I get to talk to you, yeah. I will always take. Okay. Love to Molly and the boys. Uh, I'll let them know. I'm going to go home to see them now. I'll tell them. Right. And same to Lucy and Scott. I and promise. Pokey. Oh, yes. Wait, what's your guy's name? Tucker. Bye, Tucker. Yeah. Bye. He's panting like crazy now. Oh, I have to come meet him. Yeah, yeah. I just adore that man, and I'm so glad we finally got to the bottom of that slap. So to check out Roger's Western audiobooks on Unbridled Audio or to follow Roger on social media, check out the links in our show notes. And be sure to head to thegamers.com for exclusive bonus questions with Roger. And now, a message from the gamers. 
Okay, everyone, it is time to recognize women in all aspects of gaming for their dedication to creating content, building communities, and empowering each other. The Gamers Awards honors exceptional women in gaming in 17 different categories, nominated by you, the gamers community. So it is your time to make your voice heard and vote for who you think should win each Gamers Award. Anyone can participate, so head to thegamers.com that's T-H-E-G-A-M-E-H-E-R-S dot com and click on awards to cast your vote. And be sure to tune in on November 19th to watch the award show live on the Gamers Twitch channel. You know I'll be watching and I cannot wait to see who wins. See you there. Thanks for listening. Let's Play was brought to you by The Gamers, a community that connects all types of women gamers and welcomes every human who supports this. Let's Play was produced by Kylie Vernoff and co-produced by The Gamers Team. Laura Deutsch, Rebecca Dixon, Verda Maloney, Heather Awita, and Alexis Wilcock, with sound design done by Frank Verderosa. Please visit thegamers.com for show notes to access exclusive bonus material and to learn more about The Gamers community. And we'd so appreciate if you subscribed and gave us a five-star review. Thanks again for listening.